Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show. I am Mayor Watt, and today is February 8th, 2023. I think that's what it is. You know, I'm losing track of time here in Hometown. Tonight's episode is titled, This Mouse Has Gaping Holes. And uh, we're going to cover 10 articles today. We're going to talk about chat GPT again. Um, apparently there's a arrival named Bard from Google and it made an oops. Um, dust from the moon is going to get discussed. Uh, this is how a sci-fi movie turns into a horror movie. Maybe VR education startup. Um, I did it before it was cool. Uh, Starbucks is COVID positive in a way. And yeah, there's a mouse that has gaping holes. Ew. A New Zealand finds a stash <laughs> in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, Twitter redefines a thick tweet. And Netflix password sharing crackdown hits Canada. And a Fed official relies on empirical evidence for frozen lasagna as an indicator of inflation and a Jersey coffee company gets penalized for not accepting cash. Let's get into today's articles. Hello, I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And the booming voice from on high is the AI, the one, the only, and only goes by AI. I'm not setting you up too high. <laughs> Good evening, hometown citizens. Pick up that can. The AI never says that part. I see it go by in the data stream. They're just filtering it out so that they don't, they get accepted a little bit better. Kind of ease us into the totalitarian state that will be ruled with a digital iron fist, VR iron. I don't know what it's going to, anyway, there's some world building there for you. So today has been interesting. Uh, I, uh, once again, ended up talking to a whole group of people about, uh, technology, business and society. Well, business, technology and society. I call it BTS, but everybody asked me how I am, uh, somehow connected to a Korean band. Um, then I have to do this long form explanation. Oh, I'm not associated with a, a Korean band. Um, I mean, I like their music, but I don't talk. I don't consult regarding BTS, the band anyway. Um, and I, uh, asked them the question that I asked yesterday because I asked different people yesterday and, um, people are kind of stymied. Where do you think technology can't invade society? What do you think is completely off the table in terms of automation and technology kind of taking over. And I, I asked this so that people ponder it and then come back and talk to me about it here in chat, here in hometown, come over to hometown. Well, twitch.tv slash hometown, or you can go to YouTube slash hometown, or you can 
throw a comment into the podcast. Somehow get in touch with me. There's even a Discord, but I don't really mess with it. And I don't really go over to Twitter, even though I'm there too. But I'm really curious what people, where do you think technology can't get its little cold dead hands right into, right? Just where do you think? And and somebody said, hey, you know, technology can't create life. And I said, well, what, what do you think in vitro fertilization is? Well, they can't bring it to fruition, right? They can't go full term. And I said, scientists have created an artificial womb. So yeah, they can. And I can even imagine that there's some psychopath out there in a cave unmonitored and doing it with humans, like trying to gestate a human into, because once you let this out of the confines of ethical controls, somebody can do it. How's about that for a start to a show? Where do you think technology is verboten, forbidden, not acceptable, and never going to happen? I know of one place where tech can't go. And But I'm going to let that kind of linger out there. Let's get into today's news, unless you want to add something to it. AI from on high. Well, I have an idea, but I don't know if you want me to say it since you're eliciting feedback uh, well i don't have to confirm it tonight where do you think do you already know have you been looking at my logs have you been parsing my data set we might have discussed this previously well i'm the human that's fallible so of course i'm gonna forget your coding allows you to remember everything so if I've already told you the answer, don't drop it. So we're going to move on, right? I think we should move on. <laughs> wow. Hey, so the very first article for today is uh, a couple of your buddies. Whoops. Google's ad for new chat GPT rival Bard shows the AI chatbot giving an incorrect answer. We kind of talked about this yesterday in terms of Microsoft being uh, throwing out an incorrect answer uh, in its results. And it even has the caveat, hey, do you trust our stuff? Well, don't. <laughs> anyway, this is in the Hatch Ideas channel. We'll just go over to the source real quick. It's Business Insider and Brittany Wynn is the author of this. And it says here, in an ad for Bard, the chatbot gives an incorrect answer to a question about the James Webb Space Telescope. This is how a calculation ends up making a Mars land or a lawn dart. Um, Google recently revealed an experimental AI chatbot named Bard. It actually has a slightly different name, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, maybe in the article it'll uh, cause me to remember. It's not just Bard. It's something Bard. Um, arrival to OpenAI's viral chat GPT, which the playground now for me is confirmed. I, I have to pay per 1,000, uh, what amounts to 750 words. So it actually now is a money generator, um, which is the fastest pivot from beta demo, you know, theoretical functional system to moneymaker uh, it just well i mean in terms of 
AI beta testing humans. They just have to shake their money maker anyway. And that makes money really fast. Uh, sorry. Uh, are we eight minutes? Oh, we just barely made it eight minutes into the stream. Um, so Bard is the latest player in the big tech battle for consumer facing AI. Um, but OpenAI is already charging. So they're first to the finish line in terms of starting to charge. Uh, the ad depicts the chatbot giving an incorrect answer to a question about the James Webb, Webb Space Telescope, according to Reuters. Uh, in the ad, a user asked Bard, what new discoveries from the James Webb Space Telescope can I tell my nine-year-old about? And it says, um, James Webb Space Telescope took the very sp first pictures of a planet outside our own solar system. These distant worlds are called exoplanets. Exo means from outside, Bard answers, among other quote-unquote facts. Um, but yeah, I know that there was an exoplanet taken prior to the James Webb Space Telescope. But I think the verbiage around the one that the James Webb may have taken was that it's the highest resolution of an exoplanet, perhaps. Bard's other two answers, one about James Webb uh, spotting of green peas galaxy this year, and one about images um, of uh, a galaxy that's over 13 billion years old are accurate. So, hey, look, an AI is only as good as the programmers. And maybe it wrote some of its own code, which I would not be surprised um, that it can do. But it says it's possible the error could be just because the chatbot used information from NASA blog post about the James Webb uh, Space Telescope announcing the first time that astronomers use the telescope to take a direct image of a planet outside our solar system. Um, somewhere along those lines, I remember hearing the same thing associated with the James Webb Space Telescope. Um, but yeah, it's only as bright as its inputs and it doesn't have really the ability to do critical thinking in reanalysis, it just does weighting to the data. And if it gets reinforced, that percentage goes up. Think Watson on Jeopardy. And if the data set says, yeah, this is somewhere in the 85 to 100% range of accuracy, then it'll spit it out. Um, and just like what I'm about to do, 62.57% of all stats are made up on the spot. So I am right 100% of the time. So what do you think? Should you trust an AI that spits out quote unquote facts? Or is this an alternative fact generator in reinforcing batshit crazy ideas? Well, I think it's, it's going to feed into the alternative facts of Thing. I don't think we should rely on it until they've firmed up the inputs for it. I mean, if it's just pulling data from anywhere, then it's only as credible as the worst source out there. Yeah, particularly if it relies on that worst source, right? Like the moment that it says, hey, this is accurate and it's not, you have a false positive and somebody ends up in jail. I know that's an extreme, but... That's the idea with AI. It's trying to uh, stick its tendrils into every aspect of uh, business and society. Um, and what you're going to end up with is leaning people leaning into this AI because it's relatively cheap, easy, and fast. 
and uh, very rarely do you get quality out of that combination. Um, so either it takes its time and is inexpensive and you get high quality or something else has to give and you really don't want incorrect information. Um, and even today I told people, you may run across something that sounds inaccurate or sounds accurate and your task is to think critically about it and do additional due diligence um, to firm up your efforts to uh, verify that what you are going to bring to market is not going to end up killing somebody or uh, costing your business millions of dollars. Um, leaning into an AI to get that answer, you could come out with incorrect results. So before we get right, in, I'm, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, like, if I use a search engine, I can see the source. And so that gives me some idea as to whether the information is valid. But I guess my concern is with the AI results. If it's just spitting out those AI results, you don't know where the information was gleaned. And so that's another layer of problems. It yep. would be like when you search on Google and you didn't see the link, you just saw the information or something. Yep. Oh, yeah, that's actually a great observation. Uh, at least with the results from the search engine, I get to see a multitude of those results, not just a conglomeration of uh, statements as fact. Interesting. There is supposed to be, and I didn't do any due diligence on this. I, I had heard that there is a new AI that's supposed to spit out actual citations so you know where it's coming from and you can vet those statements. Um, so you can sit there and point and laugh at the AI for having weak references. Um, the next article is over in the uh, Mobile channel. Dust from the moon could help slow climate change, a uh, study finds. Um, I, uh, I have a study going on this particular uh, article, and this is how a horror movie and uh, the end of all humankind uh, <laughs> looks like. Apparently, dust from the moon could help slow climate change. And the study published on, on the PLOS Science Journal um, explain how a cloud of lunar, lunar dust launched between the Earth and the Sun could block some of the solar radiation that warms the Earth. This is the, the core uh, storyline. This is the world building that leads to the Matrix, by the way. They try to stop the solar-powered bots, and that leads to... Um, blacking out basically a nuclear winter, essentially they, they, they try to stop the sun from shining down so that these bots would die because they were solar powered. And instead of developing some type of battery, they turn to humans and humans are the batteries for the bots. That's what the matrix is all about. Sounds weird, right? But that's supposedly what it is. It sounds really odd. <laughs> well, uh, this research offers a new offers new support for a lesser known corner of solar engineering, a, a field that seeks to scatter or reflect solar rays before they hit the earth. We can't come back from something stupid like this. Honestly, this is just so weird. 
Um, so the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy has been reviewing comments on a five-year research project aimed at a scientific assessment of solar and other rapid climate interventions to uh, curb uh, global warming, and it's called solar geoengineering. Like many other pr prospective planet-scale techniques to partially slow climate change uh, strikes many climate scientists as an enormous and unnecessary risk. Yeah. I certainly believe so. So the link takes us over to the hill. I gave credit for this one, right? Yeah, Brittany Wynn. Um, so this one is written by uh, Amy Thompson and Saul Elbin. And uh, again, it's over at thehill.com. What do you think? Do you think that it's a, you know, acceptable risk to block out part of the sun by throwing a cloud around the earth so that we cool off. I think we don't know exactly what that would cause. And I think that's the problem, but I've also seen several studies that show we're about at the brink in terms of climate change. And if we don't do something quickly, some of it's kind of unrecoverable. Um, so I think they need to keep exploring different uh, solutions, I suppose. But this sounds like it would have unintended consequences. Well, you kind of fall into the camp of 380 other scientists that signed an open letter last year calling on world governments to pledge to take solar geoengineering off the table. Uh, I, I'm going to uh, add a quote that doesn't exist in this open letter, but it the quote is, y'all are batshit crazy for even suggesting, suggesting, and then capital letters, suggesting that solar geoengineering is a smart move. We can't even, we need GPS to get from the earth to Mars, and we're going to risk blanketing the, in orbit, an entire sphere around the earth so that we can limit the amount of sun that hits it. I mean, it's supported life. The sun has supported life uh, for millions of years. And they decide that because we can't keep our idiocy in check, we should focus on the sun being bad, not our behavior being bad. I think it's pretty stupid. So it says here in this next paragraph, uh, next are the moral hazard objections. The scientists warned that uh, hope for future moonshots like solar geoengineering could distract or disincentivize uh, from far cheaper and more practical decarbonization efforts. Not to mention, if we throw a bunch of moon dust around the earth, it's going to act like sandpaper for every object that we send out of the earth. We'll have to penetrate through that. And it's not like it's going to stay in a tight little clump. Have you what? seen it's the rings? It's going to stay in one spot. <laughs> We're going to literally put rings around the earth like a dirty bathtub. Instead of us cleaning up our act, we're going to just kind of spritz a dirt ring around our tub. Oh, so dense. Anyway. Geoengineering is particularly thorny because any country, corporation, or private individual could theoretically launch an independent project, dragging the rest of the world behind them into experimental territory. 
Yeah. Okay. So I think that we could probably all agree that here in hometown geoengineering, solar geoengineering, maybe geoengineering, manipulating the earth in some way to um, put a check on climate change might be smart. We can control ourselves, right? But throwing stuff into space to try and hobble the sun is falls into that batshit crazy category. Um, so let's let's it just sounds move like on. we'd just be adding space junk, right? Yeah, microscopic space dust junk. And if you've ever read anything about what um, moon dust is, is it acts like um, sandpaper. It carves up everything that it comes in contact with. It, it's not a, a soft powdery whatever. It might be uh, in the general sense, but it acts like razors, um, but in rock form. So, yeah, let's hope that smarter minds kick in and start smacking some reality into people. The next article is over on the Reality Hacker channel. Uh, VR education startup raises $12.5 million to teach math and more using VR in schools. I did this way back, way back, way back, uh, 30 years back. <laughs> Um, so Prism's VR, an immersive platform for teaching math, announced it's raised $12.5 million in a Series A round, uh, which the uh, company says will be used to expand its VR math literacy uh, platform uh, to more schools across the U.S. Now is a kind of weird time to promote this kind of stuff because you can still have outbreaks of COVID and VR is a rather intimate interaction between the <laughs> the display the mechanism of viewing and the human you know at least with a with a monitor i can be beyond arm's length and if i have a you know 65 or 100 inch dis display sitting on the wall i can teach math from 18 feet away stay away from me i'd rather teach like this than strapping something VR on your head, unless everybody has their own personal VR headset. That would expand VR adoption. So It would, but it wouldn't be inexpensive. I don't know. Pico 4 is pretty inexpensive. Um, and it has, a, arguably, because it's a Chinese company, um, arguably, more privacy, the, the optics at least, of more privacy. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't loaded up Wireshark to monitor the network traffic to see if it's, you know, reaching out to external networks, but, um, I can I say, mean, I can't believe you didn't say the weather balloon. Don't you think it was reaching out to the weather balloon? <laughs> you, um, that was a good one. I really like that. That's funny. I, I w right when you said that, I started thinking that like the VR headset is a weather balloon and now the U.S. is going to like shoot it off of my head because I'm walking around with a Pico VR4. Um, that, that's actually that's actually brilliant because those weather balloons didn't come into existence this year until I got a Pico VR4. 
Hey. Exactly. I mean, maybe it was tracking all the Pico users. I'm just making that up. Don't anybody go panic. <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing my Pico out right now. So there's somebody that is uh, wearing a um, VR headset. Uh, it's a demonstration video. I'm sure that you can go over to uh, YouTube and watch it. It's called Prism's 2023 trailer. I won't play it here. I always get dinged whenever I play them. Regardless, even if they're on somebody other, some other uh, website and they're playing them to their heart's content, the moment that I throw it into my stream, into my YouTube video, I get a ding. Scott Hayden over at RoadToVR.com has this um, article written, and it says, uh, "Led by Andreasen Horowitz, the latest funding." Uh, round brings prisms vr lifetime funding to 19.1 million dollars launched in 2021 the focus of prisms is on um, teaching math in vr through problem-driven tactile and learning visual learning essentially it immerses the students by confronting them with real world problems a far sight from the sort of drab word problems which typically involve far too many watermelons for comfort so this is somebody's baggage definitely um other uh, other instructors professors etc use some other mechanism but this person is haunted by a professor that always used watermelons as the uh, mechanism for learning their mathematics um so um the founder taught math and physics across uh, boston and new york city that apps development uh, Ganguly uh, explains was in response to the US education system and how math instruction doesn't appeal to real life situations. And that's totally true. It's always this, you know, kind of a, a gangly mechanism of uh, two trains are coming at each other and one left the station 15 minutes later than the other one. And uh, the conductor is having a coffee and uh, all their caffeine is making them hit the pedal harder. And so they're accelerating at, you know, 10 miles per hour. And in six months, where will they be? Something really weird like that. But uh, VR actually is really fascinating in academia. Um, it can be used in IT. It can be used in trades. It can be used in uh, computer science and in cybersecurity, it can be used in health pretty much everywhere every domain uh, can use vr to some degree um, using it in math seems to be uh, more difficult in my mind um, because it's number bound and the interactions might be slower uh, because you have to demonstrate like quantities and, and other things, um, but you can integrate, you know, run and rise the slope of a, a calculation. You can do supply and demand within VR. You can do all kinds of stuff and it's interactive, uh, but it seems slower even for kids. I think it seems slower. I think it would make things like calculus a lot more accessible. Yeah, it can be. It's more because calculus can be visually and graphically driven. Um, it becomes a little bit more approachable because you can see in multiple dimensions what that calculus looks like. Even trig, you know. Um, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, 
in geometry and whatnot, the, the little niches of math um, where it's abstract. I, I can see how that, that would play into it. So pretty cool. And then you, know, you can actually learn how to take that mathematical equation and turn it into something real like a, a three-dimensional object um, and then print it out in, in on a 3D printer right from that VR space. They can actually create it see the math for the different splines of the 3d object and then um, print it so make it real in multiple ways literally have a, a takeaway from it so it says at the very bottom of this article to date prisms has already been adopted by 100 plus school districts across 26 states and the company says bringing its app to uh, 80,000, more than 80,000 students. So just a drop in the bucket of what is in school right now. So pretty neat. Um, let's move on to the next article. This next one is really interesting, uh, because we, I just had mentioned that, um, you can still have COVID outbreaks. Um, so it seems kind of weird to have something strapped to your face that maybe the kid next door was, had it strapped to their face. Um, Starbucks asked a COVID positive employee to work and then fired the person for tweeting about it, um, which they say it's retaliation. Wait, wait, wait. So <laughs> let me rephrase it. They say that it was because they violated the company's social media policy. I say it's retaliation for disclosing that they kind of breached the social, social compact. You, you don't send somebody into work that is COVID positive where even getting a, you can be vaccinated, still get it. The, the symptoms are suppressed, but the damage to your lungs is done to the point where it increases uh, lung pressure and lowers capacity. And you don't find out about it until you have something else going on and you end up in the doctor's office and they say, you know, you might've been sick with COVID. Then you turn to somebody else and you're talking to them and they say, Hey, you know, my kid is in school and is sick and it ends up bouncing to the people around that kid. And because that kid was asymptomatic, nobody knew about it. And so the perimeter around, it's kind of like mushroom rings. It just expands, plunk, plunk, plunk. And you end up with a, a cohort that is, everybody is sick. And it's all because somebody said, oh, the, it's just the sniffles, bring them in. But in this case, Starbucks fired a pro-union barista for violating the company's social media policy after he tweeted that he had been asked to come to work even after testing positive for COVID-19. So unpack all of that and what I said, and you end up with, I think, a lawsuit waiting to happen. All they have to do is get the gumption. And basically, an attorney that says, not only were you pro-union, but you, you disclosed uh, for the social good, you know, you disclosed that you were COVID positive and, and asked to come into work and then fired because you had told them, Hey, I'm COVID positive. I shouldn't come into work. And then they're like, okay, we're going to fire you. So maybe he should have shut up 
right? And not said anything. So this is worse than coming in and exposing other employees. This person is probably serving food and drinks to the public multiple times throughout the day. Like that could have caused an entire outbreak in a city or neighborhood. Yeah, so they're serving um, drinks where their hands are right on that cup. Um, well over 100 pro-union Starbucks employees um, have claimed the company fired them illegally in retaliation for union organizing. Uh, this is an article by Paul Blessed over at vice.com. Um, but I guess the union aspect of it is just another element to it uh, because they're saying, and they being Starbucks is saying that they violated the company's social media policy. Well, I hate to break it to you, but I have the right to talk about my employer. Um, if they are doing something bad, it's an, it, it amounts to whistleblowing. And in this case, I think that it is whistleblowing. So, but in a filing last week, the NLRB said Ben Scott had been fired illegally in retaliation for attempting to organize his coworkers and for publicly dis, uh, discussing an issue of workplace safety. That is, goes beyond workplace safety. This is the safety of the public. They're interacting with the general public uh, in a food service where it's much more intimate than, you know, I'm just working on somebody's car and I'm not interacting with the general public at large. I'm not driving the car, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I could probably work um, and still have COVID if I wear a mask. Um, but in this case, this person is there's no way that you could be fastidious enough to prevent yourself from uh, wiping your eyes or whatever with your hand and you're COVID positive. So it transfers onto the cup. I mean, it sounds gross what I'm saying, but that is how it transfers. And that's how we got into this mess. Not to mention somebody ate a bad bat in China, but still. Um, so Scott told vice, uh, vice news, he had begun, working for Starbucks in Georgia in 2021, first at a store in Conyers before he transferred to a store in Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta suburb of Covington. And he said he'd been uh, discussing organizing a union with his fellow workers for a couple of months after a Starbucks location succeeded in unionizing. He comes down with COVID, uh, entered into the company's mandatory five-day isolation period. Um, Scott told Vice that, uh, news that he had been asymptomatic throughout the entire illness, but continued to test positive after the five day period ended, which means you know, you don't just do five day isolation. You have to isolate <laughs> um, beyond where you're testing positive um, because you can still get people sick. Um, and so it says, this is extremely common. The CDC has said that people can continue to test positive for weeks after the onset of symptoms. Yes, that's true. But I have witnessed people getting other people sick, even though they have isolated, but still testing positive. So when the first version of Omicron was the dominant variant, found that 80% of people tested positive five days after the onset of the symptoms, asymptomatic carriers of the virus can still spread it though research suggests symptomatic carriers are more contagious. Doesn't matter. Just imagine somebody giving somebody you love COVID because they were asymptomatic and 
tested positive and waited five days. And instead of treating society with abundance of care and finding some other way, I, I mean, an employer should be able to find some other way to facilitate you working for them still and do something else, do inventory tracking, do something on the books. I don't know what I, I it's all very subjective to the industry. Um, but it says, despite still testing positive, Scott was told to return to work and the manager quote unquote, the manager said that Starbucks policy is five days and that I was required to come back to their shift uh, the next day, even though they were still testing positive. Interesting, right? So somewhere along the line, they get the idea, well, we can get rid of this union person. Well, and that's the thing. This looks really awful because of the union activity. And it will be interesting to see in that same store if they had other COVID positive employees, let's say that weren't advocating for the union or weren't part of the union, were they treated the same way? Um, but it looks like there's a cause of action because of the union activity and then because of the whistleblowing for coming to work with COVID. I mean, there's at least two issues here. Yeah, and the tweet, and the fact that it got addressed um, by Starbucks Care, um, a blue checked account, um, they responded via a tweet saying, if you haven't already, we urge you to call the partner contact center. They can document details and help ensure appropriate protocols are being followed. Yeah, I guess. Um, there is much more over at this Vice article. Um, go and check it out. Um, you'll get some more minutiae from it, um, but the nuts and bolts are uh, Starbucks. And see, we're just going to lose another potential uh, advertiser. Okay. We should That's be tallying them. I mean, we're probably up to hundreds by now. Just like in the real world, I'm on a list. So the next article is... Uh, what led to the title, uh, this mouse is full of gaping holes or has gaping holes. Yeah, the mouse has gaping holes. Now, this is in the Wanted channel. Not a fan of gaping hold anything uh, in terms of trackballs and, and mice and stuff like that. Um, I don't even like the nooks and crannies in a keyboard, but you have to live with those. Anyway, Razer's $280 mouse is covered in gaping holes. Just sounds gross. Um, there are a lot of cookie cutter mice though, uh, made by different manufacturers, have the same shapes and features, but rely on mild changes in color and sensor specs to differentiate themselves. So when Razer announced the Viper Mini Signature Edition, or SE apparently today, and this is in the last 24 hours, um, a wireless mouse that looks like it forgot to get dressed, they took notice, and this is Ars Technica. So here it is. It says, um, Ars Technica, Sharon Harding is the author with a magnesium alloy exoskeleton. The Viper mini SE weighs 1.73 ounces. That is a lightweight mouse. I don't like lightweight mice. In fact, like Logitech, some Logitech gaming mice, you actually have the ability to customize how heavy they are and you have little weights that you can put inside the mouse. Um, 
and they don't have little holes all over them. Anyway, this thing just seems like it would breed dirt because your hand is always resting. Pardon me. I just hiccuped. Um, your hand is always resting on a mouse and your hand gets all hot and sweaty. And as much as you might want to say that your hands are clean, they're not, they're oily, grimy, uh, dirty things. You got to wash them regularly to keep them clean because their oils build up because you have little holes that ooze oil. Sounds gross. Why? Cause it is. You want to know why I don't like it when people touch my monitor because your dirty, grimy hands don't touch my monitor goes for the AI as well. Anyway, so it has all of these little holes and you are going to be cleaning this thing every single hour. Well, it seems like they could have made a cool design like that, but had it like a solid layer, maybe transparent or something on the top. Um, maybe it has a exactly what I thought of. I mean, after all the COVID discussion, all that we can think of is germs. <laughs> right? Yeah, it has all and of these little, dirt. well, not little. I mean, these are big old holes and it has other little nooks and crannies too, but those you can kind of keep out of your mind, you know, oh, okay, it's just a little crevice here, a little whatever there, but this is like big old, big old holes, big old honking holes. <laughs> anyway. It's made out of magnesium alloy, apparently. Razor used magnesium alloy for the mouse because it had the preferred strength to weight ratio. Plastic, it said, was sturdy or was less sturdy uh, with drilled holes and had minimal weight reduction comparatively. And, and uh, titanium, while lightweight, stronger, and sturdier, had fabrication limitations. Yeah, like titanium is very hard to fab, um, at least at a cost benefit. Um, finally, fabrication limits plus a heavier... Uh, weight than plastic precluded razor from making the Viper mini SE with carbon fiber. And yeah, that's always a nightmare. Uh, carbon fiber is very, it's strong, but delicate. So manufacturing that isn't always the easiest thing to do. Um, so it says here, according to razor's press release, the mouse is made with an injection molded exoskeleton that is, uh, then CNC machined and polished. This has to be, oh, well, I was going to say this has to be expensive. And then I remembered that the title actually includes the prize, $280. And it's going to uh, debut February 11th. And I guarantee it, people who shouldn't be buying this are going to buy it and sell it. Uh, they're going to flip it for 500 bucks or more uh, because it uh, has to be a limited edition thing. It's just not going to be mass produced, not at $280. I don't think the market exists um, for that. Can I get it? What do you think? Does the mayor of Omtown deserve a $280 mouse? I don't even use a mouse. It would just sit in its box. See, I'm one of the How people. How do you like trackballs? I do. Uh, why? Or did you say why? No, I or? said no. You like trackballs. Right. Yeah. I don't like mice, uh, mainly because I don't want to have to have this big area where I have to move my mouse around all the time or lift it and scroll da, 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 like I'm churning butter or something. Um, I, I, I don't I don't really get it. Um, but a trackball, which is basically an upside down mouse, um, except mice nowadays don't have. OK, this is going to be one of the oddest phrases. Uh, mice don't typically have balls. 
uh, trackballs do, hence the name trackball. Anyway, trackball is stationary. You just move the trackball around. I dig those. I should probably just move on. So the next article is uh, about New Zealand. It's in the Daily News show. That's this show. We're only halfway through the show, by the way. New Zealand police find 3.5 tons of cocaine in the Pacific Ocean. It says that uh, New Zealand police have found more than three tons of cocaine floating in a remote part of the Pacific Ocean after it was dropped there by an international drug smuggling syndicate. You want to know what dropped it? Uh, It's probably the weather balloon. A speedboat. Bad joke. Oh. Wow. Oh, the processing power of my AI. Um, So Nick Perry over at Associated Press wrote this article for abcnews.go.com. You can follow the link over to that article. This, uh, the video that's playing has zero to do with um, New Zealand police finding 3.5 tons of coke. Um, Does it say, let's see here. So uh, floating in a remote part of the Pacific Ocean, I want to make other jokes, but man, there's, we just don't have time for that. Um, Coster said the wholesale value of of the 3.2 tons or 3.5 tons in freedom units versus everybody else um, of cocaine was about 500 million US, uh, sorry, New Zealand dollars, which is 316 million US dollars. And it was likely destined for Australia. 3.5 tons that could like blanket new zealand a lot of cocaine in in an inch of snow i mean that's just a ridiculous amount of cocaine um i guess i don't know so quote there we believe there was enough cocaine to service the australian market for about one year and this would be more than new zealand would use in 30 years I mean, that kind of tells us how much it is in context. So congratulations, New Zealand. You have 30 years of Coke for free. Just for all of you who are considering doing this drug and and you don't have a, a medical exemption to actually do it for a reason, just swing on by the police office and ask for your allotment of New Zealand Coke. Well, I'm not sure what that's saying about New Zealand versus Australia, but I think it's just the population difference. I I think so too. It said it would only be one year in Australia and 30 in New Zealand. (laughs) Hey man, you have to move fast to outrun the kangaroos and everything that wants to kill you out there in the bush. All the deadly animals. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Tying your shoes tight isn't good enough. You need Australian brand cocaine. Um, Well, the next article is over on Smack Talk. Uh, Twitter redefines what makes a tweet with supersized 4,000 character limit uh, for when you need to get your message out there and it's thick. Following... Following up after launching Twitter Blue in three more countries this morning, the platform has made a big change to tweets. 
this afternoon. This is again in the last 24 hours. Uh, the new max for Twitter blue subscribers in the U S has been supersized all the way up to McDonald's. No, um, 4,000 characters supersized. Sorry. I was trying to make a thick joke. Um, anyway, let's go over to nine to five Mac.com. Uh, Michael Potuck is the author of this article and let's see here. <laughs> while at, uh, while access to writing 4,000 character tweets is limited to Twitter blue subscribers in the U S at the launch, anyone can read them. Fortunately, the 280 character limit will still apply when viewing tweets in your timeline. Uh, you'll have to tap a show more link on one of the, uh, thick, um, tweets how many people do you think are going to be doing clicking on that show more that one of the things that was empowering about a 280 character limit was that you had a little bit more verbiage because it was 140 characters before now it's 280 characters because uh, it kind of eschewed the technology that actually founded Twitter, which was, uh, uh, pager technology. Um, and so when it went to 280 year, you had to still think in short story mentality, you know, write something pithy, but succinct, um, got the message out. And then people started writing multiple tweets, you know, one of 38. And now this is catering to the long winded folk who are just going to kind of spit out a massive tirade and, people are going to get the message off of that first line of whatever it is that's being said. Um, I'd rather they just point to their long form website and do their diatribe there. Um, but I think this is part and parcel to trying to keep people on Twitter, but it's still not going to bring advertisers back because it's too much of a hot mess. What do you think? You're going to go read 4,000 characters? No, I don't want to read that many characters from random people, but I also think that people that are attracted to Twitter because of the short messages, you know, if this if this takes off, it might drive them somewhere else. So here's a great example of what it looks like. So let me zoom in. I'll zoom in and then I'll move over to the next article. But so this is 140 characters. This is 280 characters and this is billionaire taking over Twitter. This is uh, 3,025 according to this, 3,025 characters. All right. You should give a description for those on the podcast. Uh, it's hard to describe that um, because just think of uh, the first band being everyday American salary and the next band being a CEO uh, salary. And then Elon Musk and other billionaires is the next, you know, you might as well think of it in that term. Um, yeah. It, it's just a mass of characters. Okay. So uh, let's move on to the next article. Yeah, this one is in the word in tech. Uh, Netflix password sharing crackdown hits Canada, but not the U.S. yet. Netflix is expanding its paid password sharing to subscribers in Canada, New Zealand, Portugal, and Spain starting on Wednesday. 
the company announced in a blog post, the company had been uh, already uh, testing this change, apparently in a few different forms, according to the article, in some countries in Latin America. Uh, now Netflix is expanding its efforts ahead of a broader rollout in the coming months. It's coming to the U.S., so everybody should kind of um, gird thyself for the fact that if you are sharing and it's in disparate locations, uh, the the far-flung one um, is no longer going to have access. They'll have to rehome every, I think it's 30 days. So like the kids are going to be coming home folks to rehome their device and then they can go back to their apartment, wherever it might be or house, wherever it might be. Um, yeah, that's kind of how it's going to work. So users can pay extra to add up to two people that don't live with them. Uh, Jay Peters is the author over at theverge.com that wrote this article. Uh, the company says that users in the newly added countries will be able to pay more if they want to add access to people that don't live with them. The fee is $8 Canadian and New Zealand dollars around six bucks um, and, and five bucks respectively. And it's different. And so it is, uh, uh, what do you call it? It's localized to that particular economic uh, system. So it's, four euro in Portugal and six euro in Spain. Uh, the number of people you can add depends on your plan and what country you live in. It's not an option for the basic and basic with ads tiers. Uh, while the standard plan lets you add one outside user and the premium lets you add two. So, uh, even the strata within the strata have strata, uh, that little bit, I guess, turns into um, a percentage increase. If you want to move your profile from a friend's account to your own, you can transfer your Netflix profile. And um, they have their own little... When you need a matrix to define what your pricing model is and what your system is, um, the amount of friction is exponential. Um Whereas business, what you want to do for business is zero that friction. Now you need a map that explains what all you can get for something as simple as streaming uh, video. <laughs> so you're not even going to get 4K until you go full-fledged premium. Um, but then you now get spatial audio, which is actually um, all the rage, particularly with uh, the new... Home pods from Apple. Do you think there's a ton of demand to have shared accounts after they roll out these new plans? I mean, I know um, there's a problem with password sharing, but are people just going to establish their own accounts or are they really all going to try to group together? I think a lot of people, it, it all depends on the location. Um, so I've actually spoken to a few people. Um, well, recently, actually, and they say that they can't afford it. Just the economy sucks. And so they will go back home and rehome their laptop and then go back to their apartment um, and plug in an HDMI cable to their big screen from their laptop and control their laptop um, and, and watch Netflix there. So I suspect that Account sharing will still persist. Um, I don't know how long it will last in terms of if there is a massive amount of people 
switching from Netflix to Hulu or Prime, more than likely Prime, um, I suspect Netflix will has already calculated that this lost loss will amount to X amount uh, to their bottom line. And they're going to totally hold on to this because they've committed a lot of marketing and messaging to this. And they've been doing this sustained, you know, banging their drum that we're going to stop this sharing stuff. Um, I don't know what will actually shake out. I'm never surprised by people. But when have you ever seen a company raise prices or demand more and then go, oh, no, you know what? We love our customers so much that we'll take a hit to our pricing um, and and reduce our price. Um, they won't even like a direct TV won't even leave me alone. And I'm an early adopter for their pivot from satellite to uh, internet. And instead of just leaving my account the way that it is, they've left my account the way it is, but raised the price $5 year over year for the last six years. So, um, yeah, they, it's impossible to claw back once they start moving forward. You can't stop profiteering, but you don't get really quality stuff without paying more, right? Says, yeah, I, if you can get it today at a certain price, you should be able to get it tomorrow at the same price, particularly for something that's like a digital product. That's different than something that requires shipping across an ocean or something. Yeah, people will sit there and say, but inflation and licensing goes up and all of that kind of stuff. And, all right. You're not inside the game, so you can't argue. It can't be that much of a difference. It really can't be that much of a difference. If your margin is 30%, then you can lower your margin to 25% and keep more customers in place. But you calculated that you're only going to lose half of that amount. So you're cool with that because you're going to gain half of that amount. So it's kind of sociopathic and and profiteering, but Hey, I'm not the CEO and, and, uh, sole owner of a multi-billion dollar company. Um, anyway, the next article is over in the hatch ideas channel and it says a fed official, uh, says that he looks at the price of stoffers, sorry, stoffers, frozen lasagna to gauge inflation. So I feel safe. Um, I mean, why that product and Fed uh, official maybe you should be looking at an index, <laughs> probably looking at a bigger data set, but uh, Fed official Neil Kashkari focuses on grocery prices when thinking about the pace of price rises. Uh, a Fed official has an interesting metric for gauging inflation, the price of frozen lasagna, Milwaukee Fed president Neil Kashkari told CNN Stouffer's frozen lasagna has increased from $16 to around $21. Holy hell. Um, Kashkari uh, said how much <laughs> from 16 to $21. Uh, like I haven't bought a Stouffer's frozen lasagna um, in probably 
five years, uh, maybe four, but I have purchased them before. I don't remember them costing $16. No, I don't either, let alone 21. I didn't even know they cost $8. Damn near the price of eggs. Kashkari said it wasn't impossible to avoid an economic downturn while taming inflation, but expressed doubts. Let's go over to the article. It's over at Markets Insider, a section of businessinsider.com. Ryan Hogg is the author. That is not what a Stouffer's frozen lasagna looks like when you pull it out of its little tin coffin. Um, that that's home. Here goes video. another sponsor. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm literally cooked. So uh, the caption on this says Fed official near Kashkari, Neil Kashkari focuses on grocery prices when thinking about the pace of price rises. Um, but the picture is of nothing more than uh, a lasagna, a very nice looking lasagna, by the way, um, and not a Stouffer's one. But nowhere in this picture is Neil Kashkari focusing on said lasagna. Just wanted to make it abundantly clear uh, to those who are not watching the stream. <laughs> I think it's funny to me. That, that is that. <laughs> That's a good picture of lasagna, though. <laughs> Neil Kashkari has never looked so yummy. <laughs> My jokes are cheesy. Oh, God. Multiple layers of Maybe half-baked. <laughs> Always half-baked. So, yeah, a quote, and I'll say the quote because Kashkari said, I pay attention to grocery prices. There's this large tray of lasagna that I used to buy that used to cost $16. Now it's around $21. That's my own little measuring stick of how inflation is going. Buddy, you should not have a measuring stick that involves anything other than the data set that might include grocery goods like a tray of frozen lasagna for crying out loud. I'm okay. I don't know what to say. Oh, it's really interesting though, because the article actually mentions the same thing that I mentioned. Prices for some of America's most popular food items have skyrocketed amid supply chain disruptions with eggs jumping 60% in 2022 and cheeseburgers and steaks at the risk of a surge due to a drop in the number of beef cows. Yeah. Eggs supposedly now are about to crash. The prices are supposed are, are in um, the horizon for eggs is that they are going to the price. The ceiling has cracked. Or I said, should the floor has cracked. Um, eggs are supposed to drop in price. I doubt that they're going to return to normal because people were still buying them and they've weighted the odds of keeping the prices high as opposed to profits. And so they're going to keep those high. Why? Because we do not have an adequate range of com uh, competitors, even for eggs. While you can go to your local farmer's market and pick up you know, organic, or so they say organic eggs, uh, free range organic eggs, there's a finite amount. And we don't build our towns and, and cities uh, around that type of dynamic. I promote that though. I really like the idea of uh, local farms feeding the local population 
even in a big city, you have regions of the city that is bound particularly to produce foods for those people in that area. Even if the people don't want to use it, other people in that area will find it as an asset instead of having to go across town um, in in some city to get produce and or eggs or whatever there is somebody there that can sell it at that local farmers market um, but it's usually kind of haphazardly placed it's not a strategic planned uh, institution within a city um, at any rate uh, yesterday was the State of the Union address, and this article includes a statement in his State of the Union address, though, President Joe Biden highlighted food inflation was coming down with BLS data showing consistent monthly declines in food CPI since July. I would like to look not at CPI, but the producer price index to monitor if the price, the consumer price index is actually going to return to some semblance of normality in the trend. I did not do that before this show, but I'll do it before tomorrow's show and uh, we can talk about it if it's even applicable. Um, that said, there's more over here at uh, the Business Insider article. Please follow the link in the show notes. I repeat it often enough um, and I hope that it doesn't drive you all nuts, but um, the idea is to get people to follow these links through hometown over to the sources. You can make comments and people do over in hometown.com. Um, but, uh, the, the real goal is to pique your curiosity and, uh, get you talking about it here on Twitch. If you don't do it real time on Twitch every day at nine o'clock Eastern, then do it over on, um, over on YouTube because that's where there is another uh, community function. That way you don't have to create an account over at hometown um, because there's no real time messaging platform here on Twitch. So that's kind of a shortcoming of Twitch. Now I've lost the support of Twitch. Anyway, um, I was told back in 2019 by a random uh, comment that the era of cheap food is over and almost like they were uh, Nostradamus telling me the future. It came true six months later, uh, maybe closer to a year later, it came true and blew my mind. And I, ever since then, I've been talking about the fact that, you know, some stranger just kind of plops out there in the ether that the price of food is going to shoot through the roof and sure as hell it does. Um, so when some rando tells you that something's, uh, and I'm not talking about rando talk, another streamer here on Twitch, I, I, I have to change my terminology because anyway, when some random person tells you something, go do some due diligence. You might find out that it's actually happening and it's just not on your radar. <laughs> so, um, that's what happened with me. And ever since then, I've been talking about it and all of this news. So finally, the last article for today is uh, over in the Order of the Bean channel. And uh, that's for everybody who loves coffee. I certainly love coffee. Um, I had an eight o'clock meeting. And for whatever reason, woke up, went to bed at two o'clock, woke up at six o'clock, got over got my coffee, went to my meeting, 
went to another session, went to another session every hour and a half to two hours all throughout the day. And the only thing that got me through it, it seems is coffee and water. Um, so coffee is awesome. Well, New Jersey coffee business was penalized $2,000 for not accepting cash, which I didn't think was a thing, but the way that law and policy and procedure is balkanized across states, apparently it's a thing in New Jersey. A New Jersey specialty coffee shop chain called Hidden Grounds Coffee, which I think is an awesome name, um, has agreed to pay $2,000 penalty uh, following two state law violation notices for not accepting cash. Did you think that that was a thing? Um, I think businesses don't necessarily want to accept cash, but I didn't know that there were laws about that. I think it's to protect um, people at lower economic status because they're not necessarily going to have credit cards, et cetera. Or a bank account or anything like that, right? Right, right. Yeah. So this is over at uh, dailycoffeenews.com, which periodically... Um, gets news um, gathered by um, hometown and a, a process called gather. Um, when this came through and it was submitted to us that I was like, wow, we have to talk about this because never in a million years would I think that you would be fined for it. I think maybe there could be some social outrage. Well, why the hell is this coffee company not accepting real cash because I figured that a business has the, um, what do you want to call it? You know, they, they can decide if they want to accept cash or credit. Right. Um, but apparently in New Jersey, uh, there are a couple of, um, laws and it says, while there is no federal law requiring cash acceptance, New Jersey is one of just three states that require it after passing the New Jersey Consumer Fraud Act in 2020. Colorado passed a similar bill in 2021, and Massachusetts has required cash since 1978. Meanwhile, multiple states um, or cities, including San Francisco, Washington, D.C., New York City, and Philadelphia, have passed laws requiring the acceptance of cash. They must, they must describe it as paper cash or coinage because to me, any form of payment is synonymous with cash. Like, Hey, do you, I don't sit there and say, do you, I just say, how do you want to pay? I don't go, uh, look, I'm only taking cash. And if somebody says, Hey, I only have cash, <laughs> depending on what it is, I may not want it. Um, oh, you know what? <laughs> you can keep it. Um, but I, mean, I see that you encounter more places that don't want to accept um, credit cards, for example, right? Like small businesses, cash only. I don't think I've come across this, and I did not know that states had laws about this. There is a place that is uh, hyper local to hometown wherein up until recently they only took cash um and uh then at some point probably around the time of the pandemic they leaned into they had issued technology and then 
um, around the time of the pandemic, they go, oh, you know what we don't want? A bunch of cash. Um, and people standing around breathing on us. And uh, now they have everything smart. Like um, they just, in fact, the there's two of them um, and they both happen to be uh, breakfast places. Although one is full service. Um, sorry. Oh, and that's another one. Yeah, the AI just reminded me that there's another one. Um, that never took cash like it, it uh, sorry, never took credit. Um, but they were technically, I think the scientific term is out in the sticks. And so they never had the ability to lean on, um, technology to provide, uh, better service to their customers. Um, but something happened in their worldview and they're like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll take that 1.7% hit in our profits so that we can actually sell more faster. <laughs> and that too happened because of the pandemic. So the pandemic was kind of a quantum leap in the adoption of technology and look folks, it kept the economy going shocker. Anyway, according to the AG's office, the business agreed to pay a civil penalty of $2,000 to resolve the alleged violations while also agreeing to accept cash, minimize inconveniences, uh, for cash paying customers and uh, distribute a summary of the consent order to the chain's retail managers. So smack on the hand. And you know what? Maybe this coffee company will just be burned enough where they close the retail establishment and just sell online and start marketing online. How about that? Wouldn't that be a pisser to the local uh well, right. Then they wouldn't have to accept cash. Yep. You can't do a cash online transaction. Well, you can, but it gets stuck in the ethernet cable and I can only, in all can only the tubes. <laughs> that's right. Get stuck in the tubes. You know, for all of the joking that we make about that guy saying that the internet is a series of tubes, it really is. There's only so much bandwidth in the pipes. And so it can get overwhelmed. You know, that's why I want two gigabit symmetric internet. And I only have to move How's to that a working out for you. <laughs> yeah. The phrase is, so how does it feel to want at any rate, that's all of the news that we have uh, pulled out of hometown, but there is much, much more at hometown.com. I'll drag you back to the front page. Um, so a little bit of news, uh, the back end is changing, um, significantly in its, uh, speed and effectiveness here in the next couple of days. And the front page, this page here, um, will be modified in the coming weeks. Um, unfortunately I couldn't do this at the beginning prior to the start of the new year, which was my intent. Um, but we're trying to make hometown faster and more responsive and um, additional features and, and customizations and stuff like that uh, will be coming as time and um, budgeting for hometown uh, allows. Uh, we all have our fiscal year and voters are all over me to fix potholes. There's so many potholes in hometown. And just look around, you'll find them. And uh, when you do, send me a message, let me know. Okay, that's it for tonight. We'll see you tomorrow. 
the news at nine. I'm, it's the daily news show, but I want something pithier, shorter, or something that I can put on a shirt and, and wear around hometown. It's the news at nine. And you've been talking to Mayor Watt and the AI from on high. You want to say bye? Good night, hometown citizens, and we'll see you tomorrow. And pick up that can. Bye-bye.